So in our home, we don't have cable television. And so when we travel, uh, I typically am the one who grabs the remote and begins to strategically flip when, when we're in a hotel or something and strategically flip through some of my favorite channels like the History Channel or HGTV or the Discovery Channel. And often, uh, if I'm there a day or two, uh, I will land at some point along the way on American Pickers where I can watch uh, Frank and Mike pilfer through old barns and sheds and fields to discover hidden treasures and try to make deals with the private collectors. Uh, and clearly they enjoy the hunt. I mean, just the, the fascination of finding these rare, uh, historic, uh, typically American artifacts, uh, they are just they're delighted in, in that. But the ultimate for them is to find, land on a deal that satisfies all parties. Uh, the ultimate question that they've got to ask and resolve in order to land on a deal is what's it worth? What's it worth to the owner, uh, the collector, and what's it worth to them? And that is a, a significant part of what makes uh, American Pickers kind of interesting. So I'm thinking and talking about this morning the idea of value or worth. And I'm not just wanting us to focus on a monetary uh, value, because we use that same term for uh, whether it's uh, all the different kinds of measurements of what we're willing to invest, whether we're wor it's worth our time, was it worth the effort, was it worth the emotional energy, we ask ourselves, before and after being engaged in different things. Worth, as I'm using it this morning, is a subjective measure influenced by personal preference, circumstances, and often our core values and beliefs. It defines our priorities, our determination, our personal investments. So two people might be uh, sitting on a porch having a discussion about a craving for Krispy Kreme donuts. And one of them determines that even though the nearest Krispy Kreme donut shop is about 50 miles away, that they are getting such an appetite that they're willing to get in the car, drive the 50 miles, get a dozen of donuts, and bring it back and eat a few on the way. And the other one might say... That's not worth it to me. This, by the way, is a real uh, illustration. I know of people doing this. <laughs> or you might have a, two Cardinal fans standing at a clothing rack admiring the same red jacket. But when the price tag is flipped and revealed, one concludes, maybe based on their uh, bank account, it's not worth it. And the other one, without hesitation, grabs it off the rack and pulls out a credit card. Or you might be on a vacation and you see images of a beautiful waterfall at the end of a scenic path and you say, I would love to see that personally. And as you begin to read, you discover that it's a three-mile hike, mostly uh, up an incline, and you come to the determination, or you have to come to the determination, is it worth it to make the hike? So I've been asking myself, since general conference, what is Jesus worth to me in priority, in time, in energy, in investment? Now, before I get to the reason for that specific question, let me just have us look a little bit at some scriptures that talk about the value, the worth of the kingdom and of Jesus serving him, knowing him, walking with him. 
So uh, for the last few weeks, we've been in the parables. And I want to touch, first of all, on a couple of parables. In Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 13, we have the kingdom of the, tr- the treasure hidden in a field and the kingdom of the pearl that are back to back. And the kingdom hit of a treasure in a field is this treasure hunter uh, finds, goes to this field. We don't know what the treasure is. We don't know what it is that he's discovered. But there's this something there so significant, so valuable, that he's first buries it again so nobody can find it, but then goes and sells all that he can, all that he has, so that he can come back and purchase that field. And then right after that, we have the treasure of this priceless pearl that where this merchant has been looking for the perfect pearl and comes upon it and decides that it's worth so much he'll sell all that he has in order to gain that one pearl. Both of these uh, parables come to the same conclusion, it's worth selling all. Okay? Now we could contrast that with the story of the rich young man who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he talks about his faithfulness to the commandments. And Jesus says, well, there's one thing you lack, and if you just sell everything you have, which is, again, in the parables, this is a direct contrast, if you think about that, and give to the poor and follow me, you will have great blessing in eternal life. And then we go on to some of Jesus' teaching about discipleship. Oh, well, let me, uh, before I get to that, let me read this kingdom promise from Matthew 29. Jesus said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or field for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. This is following the rich young man walking away. Jesus is trying to help his disciples grasp the concept that following him no matter what it costs, is worth it. So then we go on to some of his teachings on the cost of discipleship. And there's so much here, but I'm just touching on Luke chapter 14, where he talks about taking up our cross and following him. And we've had all kinds of sermons and teachings about what it may or may not mean to take up our cross. But it's got to mean it costs something significant. Other things Jesus taught was if you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to save your life, you want to lose it. And all these expressions of being willing to give something up in order to gain that which is greater. These are some of the tough teachings in Scripture. Our tendency when reading these passages, I think from our cultural perspective, is to tend to approach the kingdom life backwards. Uh, and, and we move towards legalisms, or maybe, uh, and as a result of that, there's discouragement and frustration. And what, what I mean by looking at it backwards is we tend to think about giving or sacrificing or surrendering as something we do in order to earn God's favor. So when we read these passages, we flip them upside down. We say, well, in order then to have this kingdom, we've got to do this so that we might gain God's favor or prove our piety or holiness. But the kingdom life, and this is the challenge for us, the kingdom life isn't about serving to earn grace, but rather encountering grace at such a profound and personal level. That service just seeps out like floodwaters that can't be contained. N.T. Wright has written this. The longer you look at Jesus, 
the more you will want to serve him in this world. That is, of course, if it's the real Jesus you're looking at. Plenty of people in the church and outside it have made up a Jesus for themselves and have found that this invented character makes few real demands of them. He makes them feel happy from time to time, but doesn't challenge them, doesn't suggest they get up and do something about the plight of the world, which is, of course, what the real Jesus had an uncomfortable habit of doing. So we've got these teachings of Jesus and wrestling with what does it mean to live this life that says he's worth it. The kingdom is worth it. Serving him is worth it. Engaging in his calling is worth it. Let's look a little bit now at some of Paul's letters. Where Paul has this tendency to uh, do a teaching on the front end and reach a pivot point in his letter that moves from the reality of the gospel to the response to the gospel. Midway through, or partway through his letters, he makes this transition. And often that transition is marked by words like since, or therefore, or in view of. So I want to look at just a a few of those. One we had read earlier from Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians 3, uh, Paul says the pivot point begins with the word since. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on things above. And put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he wraps that section up with this in verse 17 with whatever you do. Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I just wonder, if I just took that verse and tried to live that verse the rest of my life, how would, it, well, how would that change me? Whatever I do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Ephesians 4, Paul transitions with the word implied, therefore but also uses the weight of his own life and his own example when he says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, I plead with you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he goes on in chapter 4 of Ephesians to talk about unity with one another and a humility in, in, in the way we work together. And he talks about holiness and being set apart Some of the things that uh, in that message uh, translation that Mary read before are repeated here in Ephesians. And purity, those three themes are emphasized in Ephesians 4 as a response to who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means to know him. In Romans 12 is perhaps one of the um, key passages uh, that we are aware of where Paul spends those first 11 chapters unwrapping uh, the distinction of the cross, the distinction of grace from law, the power of the cross, the amazing grace extended through the cross for all. And then he gets to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worth-ship. 
And again, we can have all different ways we try to unwrap that, but no matter how you look at it, there's something compelling about the gospel and a life transforms that naturally moves people to living generous and sacrificial and serving devotional to our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm asking myself these days, how much is Jesus worth to me? How much energy, how much time, how much sacrifice, how much study? Money's on the bottom of my list because I think that flows out of everything else, but money fits too. What would I be willing to give up, go without, surrender, sacrifice, risk, in order to grow the kingdom to show others the reality of the grace of Jesus? Not to prove my love to God, not to earn God's favor, not to impress you or anyone else, but because Christ's love compels me, as Paul said. And if Jesus doesn't seem to be worth much to me, I wonder, have I somehow made up for myself a safe, comfortable, enlightened American Jesus who makes me feel good but doesn't call me to very much because that doesn't seem to be the same Jesus that's being worshipped in many parts of the world now I don't want to speak too much for India Pastor Sharish but you alluded a little bit to the fact that when somebody comes to faith in Christ it can cost them family, reputation job and when somebody answers the call to pastor and plant churches, and I've met with many of these pastors and church planters in our, in our church in, in India, and they, they know that coming with that is often great sacrifice, great risk, and not just risk of rejection, but risk of bodily harm and arrest and family uh, separation and their homes being destroyed. And that same reality is true in many cultures around the world today. At General Conference, one of the blessings we had was to hear these stories. This is why I'm asking this question personally. We heard stories from around the world where the church is growing, in some cases exponentially. On the first night of General Conference, we heard a message from one of our Christian brothers from the Middle East. And uh, you can't find this on the web because that particular message has to be protected. Uh, this particular brother who shared the message has been to our church. Some of you heard him speak. He shared amazing stories of God working in some of the darkest regions of our world. He told of miraculous visions and dreams and life transformation. He shared about people who are intentionally reaching out to other individuals or people groups who would have, prior to their transformation in Jesus Christ, would have been their enemies and who would have been feared. It's amazing to see how God is opening doors or various places around the world through refugees and immigrants who are being moved from one part of the world to another. And, and that's one of the key elements of this ministry in the Middle East. 
at the center of what God is doing in many places, including India, including the Middle East and other, many other places, there are people who really are just like you and me, but who are so radically determined to know and follow their Jesus that they are willing to take risks and sacrifice time and energy, even family security, in order to introduce others to Jesus and grow God's kingdom. And so I keep asking myself, what's Jesus worth to me? We heard one story that first night of a brother from the Middle East, a very unlikely convert, who has taken on the name Peter after his life has been changed. He, came, he comes from a very, very devout Muslim family which has political power, his family, and wealth, and respect, and re religious respect in the country in which he's from. He trained at the best schools, and uh, has been, was being educated and equipped in a field which would gain him much respect, and which would uh, provide wealth, and potentially even global influence. But several years ago, when ISIS invaded Syria, he was surfing through the internet and he discovered, clicked on a website that spoke of Christian truth. And we don't, I don't know all the story, but in, in the result of some of that and continuing to search that, he miraculously came to faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized. And not long after he came to faith, his family discovered that he was regularly engaged with and meeting with Christians and when this was discovered, he confessed to be, that he was a follower of Christ and he was uh, kicked out of school and disowned by his family and there were threats against him, his life and sh for shaming his family. And in the midst of this, he receives this message from his mother that in spite of all that has happened and him shaming the family, she, he want, she wants him to know that she loves him and cares for him, and so she's prepared a, f a favorite family dish and has sent it to him, and it should arrive to him as an expression of her love. He was encouraged by this gesture. There was a sense of hope for him. But before it arrived, he received another message from his sister who said, I could not live with you if I didn't get a hold of you and warn you, don't eat that meal it has been poisoned. And he, he struggled to believe what he was hearing, but ultimately determined not to eat. And he took that dish and he put it out in the street for an alley cat that quickly gobbled it up and within 10 minutes was dead. This brother was now compelled to flee his home country to settle in another nearby area or another part of the region. Um, he still faces great risk if, of being found and killed. Uh, his family has many connections. And people have asked him, is it worth it? Was following Jesus worth losing everything, family, financial security, his culture, even his own safety? And his response, Jesus is worth it. At the close of this message, the speaker declared that this, this is the perspective that drives the growth of the church in the Middle East, that those who are planting churches in new regions among new people are determined Jesus is worth it. 
And so he closes the service with this chant, Jesus is worth it, Jesus is worth it, Jesus is worth it. And people begin to join in, and the congregation is declaring with him, Jesus is worth it. And after two or three times of saying that, I found myself pulling back and getting silent and saying, what right do I have to declare at the same level with those brothers that I identify the full worth of Jesus. What does it mean to me here in Bond County, Illinois, to say Jesus is worth it? Whatever it means, I long for an increase. This brings me to my text for the morning. This is just the introduction. <laughs> if I can get to it. Where Paul says... And I know the context of this. Paul is talking about his background and his credentials as a, as a Jew and as a Pharisee and all those kinds of things. But there's something that Paul gets that I want to get more. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I want to know that more personally, more clearly. And I don't think it means the same for me as it does for my brother in the Middle East or in India or my sister in, in other parts of the world, but I think it should mean more than it does to me. And I, I want to know Jesus like that. Understanding that it's not to earn anything. It's to honor. It's to honor the value of the worth of the Savior I serve. B.T. Roberts once wrote, the great object of divine grace is to destroy our selfishness. And that's a hard place to get as an American Christian. My desire is to be more like my brother Peter, in, that I don't know, in the Middle East, to be, have the heart of the Apostle Paul, who wrote many of these letters from prison, to have that same understanding that N.T. Wright describes and that B.T. Roberts is pointing to. That I so understand the grace and the cost of what Jesus has offered me that I live like it's worth it. So when we gather at the Lord's table today, we're reminded that Jesus is worth it. Whatever the it might be, whatever the cost, whatever the risk, whatever the inconvenience or the challenge, when we're called the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Gospels, he's worth it. So as we prepare to come to the table this morning, to receive, I want you to receive this invitation, and I want you to just say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you let me get a fresh glimpse of the worth of Jesus, the value of the Savior, the price that's been paid, the gift of life, the hope we have, the freedom in Christ, Lord, give us a fresh glimpse as you hear this invitation.